All right, all right, all right. Hey, this is Coach V coming back at you. Episode three. Hey, I appreciate you being here. Uh, we're going to get it started. Talking about this week, I got some breaking stuff going on. We about to get into it. Um, man, this is crazy. Uh, I got a lot of stuff to talk about. I had an entire list of stuff I wanted to talk about, and now I have to change course because of some news today with my 49ers. So we're about to get into it. All right. By now, most of you know Brock Purdy is in the concussion protocol. Likely he will not play. Likely he will not play this Sunday against the Cincinnati Bengals, which means Sam Darnold. And I am fine with Sam Darnold. I think there is a huge perception of him that he's not a good quarterback. I don't think people are looking at the situation. I think they're looking at, here's where I talked about numbers, right? I talked about numbers last week, that numbers never lie, but I did end that with saying sometimes numbers can be skewed. And I believe in Sam Darnold's situation, being in a the, with the Jets, bad coaching, bad offense, then going to Carolina, bad coaching, bad offense. You can only do so much when you don't have talent around you, when you have bad coaching. And I think he is a kind of what I mentioned about all quarterbacks are system quarterbacks. You are dick, you are a you are a product of your system. Unfortunately for him, he was in two bad systems. I do believe he is in the right system. Now, I'm not sitting here saying he's going to come out and start lighting it up. He is going to be without Debo. He'll be with likely be without Trent from what I'm hearing. That's hard. First start with the Niners. Without the team's best. I should make, I mean, yeah, best offensive player, best offensive lineman, arguably one of the top three best offensive linemen in the history of football. Of course, two team leaders. You're talking about the two guys that come out leading the boom box. Like those are your two guys. With that said, I'm curious to see now what all the Brock Purdy haters. Yeah, I'm calling them haters. Nick Wright. I'm not calling Shannon Sharp a hater. I because I, I like I said, I agree with what he said. He's not elite because I think that takes time. I think people are going too far trying to say he's elite. Because you have elite numbers and you're playing at an elite level does not make you elite this early in your career. So I agree with that. However, the fact that he supposedly had a bad game against the Vikings. I'm not sure what game they were watching where he had a bad game. I get two interceptions, but there's other numbers. You can't just disregard 21 for 30 for 270 plus with an almost 90 rating and say, well, it's just the two interceptions. No, 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 no. There's an entire stat line that's built for that. So, again, I agree with Shannon Sharp. I just, I disagree with 
Oh, see? See what he did against the Vikings? Told you. He is what he is. No, man, that's not how this works. And I'm going to dig into something, but I'm going to say when he went into that, when they, when, they, when they did the quarterback sneak and he got bashed in the head, they showed the top view, and I said, ooh, that was a pretty good hit on the head. Now, I didn't think anything of it because he didn't come out the game. He kept playing. <clears throat> his stats, his stat line was 21 for 30, but I've since now been – have read that after that hit, he went two for six with two interceptions. So the only two interceptions he had during the entire game was after that hit. And when he threw the interception that was way behind Jawan Jennings, I was like, what in the world was that? Because in all, what now, 12, 13 games that Brock has played, He's never thrown that far behind a receiver. Like, I know that's not a huge sample size, but that certainly isn't three games either. So either for me it was something else is wrong or that elbow started acting up on him and he was, comp he was overcompensating, but something was wrong. And I know the best way the announcers could say it is, Oh man, he was just, that was just a bad throw. Yeah, that's what it looked like. So I'm not shocked to hear about Purdy in, in the concussion protocol. I'm not. Um, what I will say is, since he was two for six, what I'm curious of again is now what will those haters come out and say now? Because clearly, he was rocked. Con clearly, he was concussed is why. He had those two interceptions. Why he, why he threw so far behind Juwan Jennings that it wasn't even funny. And why the throw over the middle. Now, granted, time was running down. He had no timeouts. He was trying to make something happen. I mean, even, not, even an unconcussed player could have done that. And now you got the Tampa 2 backer dropping deep middle. He thought he could lob it over his head. But even then, that still was not a normal Brock Purdy throw. So it was still shocking. Uh, but then when you look at his numbers without. So then he was 19 for 24. One touchdown, no interceptions. If you don't include the two for six, two interceptions after the concussion or after the hit in the head. That says a whole lot. So to me, somebody should be coming out tomorrow, Nick Wright, should be coming out, Shannon Sharp, saying, okay, my bad. Because he had a concussion, which you now can say that's why or likely why he threw those interceptions. I do. I, 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 I chose not to listen to the shows this week. Because I knew it would frustrate me. Because I'm frustrated with somebody like Shannon Sharp. Nick Wright, yeah, he frustrates me. I know he's getting a lot of notoriety. His show is, their show is more popular than Skip Bayless's show. Skip Bayless's show completely sucks. I'm sorry. 
Uh, no, I'm actually not sorry. It sucks. Period. It sucks. You can absolutely tell Richard Sherman literally cannot stand the dude. Like he digs into him so hard that I'm 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 shocked that I know there's a contract, but I'm still shocked that Skip Skip Bayless actually takes the beating that Sherman gives him. So anyway, I want to go into Shannon Sharp's version of um or even anybody. And I'm picking on Shannon Sharp because he played for the Denver Broncos, right? And it, 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 it flusters me to hear guys talk about, like, it's a detriment to Brock Purdy that he has the talent around him, right? That's used against him. Because Shannon has said if he was with somebody else and if he was with another team and didn't have that talent, I'm not sure if he would do the same thing. Well, guess what, Shannon? Guess what? You play with a quarterback, a legendary quarterback. We can say the same thing about John Elway. John Elway didn't win his first Super Bowl until he was in the league for 14 years. Now, he went to one Super Bowl, still is the largest deficit in the Super Bowl. He was on the losing end of that. Now, granted, he was young. Well, no, he was a veteran. That was six, seven years into his career. So let me take that back. They lost 55 to 10 to my 49ers. I remember being in my best friend's house in his basement as I'm watching the game. And he's a Lions fan. And he just, he couldn't stand the 49ers. So you're telling me, John Elway, for all those years, for 14 years, he couldn't get it done. And, and I'm let me rephrase, because I hate making it sound like it's all on the quarterback. So when I say he couldn't get it done, well, actually, his team couldn't get it done. I am a very big stickler of that. I don't like putting the, I don't, I told you in my previous episode, I don't like wins and losses is not a QB stat. This guy is not 2-0 and oh against that guy, right? Tom Brady is not whatever number, win-loss number, versus, uh, oh, the perfect one, Eli Manning is 2-0 and against Tom Brady. No, he's not. He's 0-0. The Giants in the Super Bowl are 2-0 and against the Patriots when those two were the starting quarterbacks. No different. John Elway did not lead his team to win a Super Bowl. Until he had what? Talent around him. So here we are talking about a legendary quarterback that some people put in the top five. I think that's laughable. I don't think he's anywhere near the top five. Maybe I shouldn't say anywhere near. I'll, I'll put him somewhere in the top 10, 12. He's not top five. John Elway had a top 10 defense in 97 and 98. Number one, that's that's the, the, the that's the first point. Top 10 defense both years. Steve Atwater, one of the hardest hitting safeties, second to Ronnie Lott. Ed Reed and Troy Palomalu, they were great safeties. They were not hard hitters like Ronnie Lott, Steve Atwater, Dennis Smith. 
You can even go back to the 70s. Now you get a little bit a little bit before my time. But I know guys like Kenny Easley, hard hitter, right? These are the guys, these are the CTE guys because they just went and bashed their heads into whatever came at them. Didn't matter. On offense, please let's remember, he had a guy who rushed for 2,000 yards. 2008 to be exact. That's Terrell Davis. In 1998, Terrell Davis was the Offensive Player of the Year and the NFL MVP. He also had Rod Smith. Most of you don't know who the heck Rod Smith is, and that's totally okay. I certainly know who Rod Smith is. He was a, let's say, uh, uh, I mean, he wasn't like him. I'm just putting him on the level. He's a Brandon Ayuk. Brandon Ayuk likely will not be going to the Hall of Fame. One day he will be forgotten about by a majority of fans in the NFL, except for Niner fans. Bronco fans will remember Rod Smith forever. And then you got people like me who love my old school players. Now, have I forgotten about Rod Smith? Yes, until I looked it up and saw Rod Smith and I was like, holy crap, that dude was, he was actually good. And then his other teammate, well, Shannon Sharp was the tight end. We will give credit to Shannon Sharp that he was a top three, some people top five tight end in the history of this league. And then here's another name most of you might know, McCaffrey. Obviously not Christian McCaffrey. His father, Ed McCaffrey. Ed McCaffrey was a very good wide receiver. He was nothing great. He's no Hall of Famer. Very, very good wide receiver. And their offensive line. Now, I really know one main guy that was Mark Schlereth. Schlereth is still on a lot of shows in the, in the, uh, uh, on ESPN. But very good, very good offensive lineman. I'm wondering if he is in the Hall of Fame. I'm not sure. But I also feel like he was a part of the Hogs. Of the Redskins. I might be wrong. I'm not totally sure. So the point is, it just it it baffles me that somehow these guys with talent around them are bashed by somebody like Shannon Sharp, who literally won his first Super Bowl. With a quarterback who went through the same thing, who could not win one until he had talent. Because let's listen, their pass offense in 97 and 98, it was, it was decent. I mean, I, I'm, I'm downplaying it a little bit. It was better than decent. Because decent is, if you, depending on how you define it, average, somewhere in the middle. Maybe a little bit above, right? Above average is what decent is. So they were a little bit better than above average. The rush offense, though, the run offense, top five both years. Now, when you have a top five rush offense and you have a guy who is running, who is running for 2,000 yards, 
you best believe your pass offense is going to open up. That play action is going to be beautiful. Okay? So Elway didn't have to just drop back, drop back, drop back, drop back. And he had an average running back next to him. Oh, no, 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 no. He had Terrell Davis. To this day, kind of a forgotten about great because, honestly, he did not last very long. But he had substance. Like, his career was legit. This isn't like Timmy Smith and probably 99.9% .9 of you were like, who? Timmy Smith, I'm not sure if he still does, but for a while, Timmy Smith had the uh, uh, the most rushing yards in Super Bowl history. And that was literally the only game the dude was good at. It was crazy because nobody knew who he was. That's not Terrell Davis. He just had a shortened career. Like, you don't rush for 2,000 yards and you're no good. Now, with that said, many people say, well, he also had Kyle Shanahan's father who kind of does what Kyle or did what Kyle does now where people say you can plug and play. And the fact that Mike Shanahan, people say he could plug in any running back and they'll do well because he had a system that kind of like what Kyle has, where he can plug in a quarterback and he's going to do well, which I somewhat agree with that and I somewhat disagree with that. However, Going back to the point, I'm shocked to hear somebody like Shannon talk about if he didn't have these players, he wouldn't be this. Because I could say the same thing for John Elway. John Elway was in a wrong system. He would be, I mean, I think he'd still be good. But he certainly wouldn't be, he certainly wouldn't have two Super Bowls. I can tell you that. He, he retired after that. He was on his last leg. So I feel like in a, in, a, in a weird sense, no, I'm not glad, obviously, that Brock Purdy has a concussion. However, what it does, if none of those guys can now come back tomorrow and say, you know what? Maybe I was a little bit wrong. And I know Nick Wright won't do it. I know it. I'm okay with that. But. That's a, I'm sorry, but that's a little bit of pie in their face. Because the entire game, he played well. And all of a sudden, he threw two interceptions and six passes. And now, all of a sudden, he had a bad game. He is what, what, what we thought he was, old Dennis Greenline. They are who we thought they were. He is what we thought he was. No, he's not. And the numbers keep proving you wrong. And now the concussion says, aha, that is the reason why he threw those two interceptions because we have not seen anything close to that. Okay. I just spent 20 minutes on that. I had to, uh, I had to go in depth on that one. It's personal to me. 
Um, you know, again, huge Niner fan. 41 years I've been a Niner fan, so I'm always going to be uh, Niner heavy. Uh, but I also want to talk about the defense because the defense looked really bad out there. And I know there's some talk about, um, about Wilkes. That's kind of a hard one. I just, I, I, I and I, I want to, so I, I had a kind of a debate with somebody that, you know, they mentioned that the defense isn't as good as it was last year. Well, uh, uh, yeah, we could say that. I've also heard that he's not a good defensive coordinator. Now that part, that part, you should be slapped for. What you need to understand and this is, and I know what this is. This is people who ain't never set foot on a football field to do nothing, but maybe they were a part of a crowd that rushed the field. Maybe they went to a game with a friend, and that friend had backstage pa or back 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 in the locker room passes, and they got on the field at some point before the game or after the game. It's the only time they ever been on a football field. And I understand that social media allows everybody and their mama to have an opinion about something they don't, they don't know a thing about. One of the things I despise about social media, any and everybody wants to tell you how you should be doing your job because they sit on this, they sit on the couch or hook up with some friends at Buffalo Wild Wings or whatever restaurant that's local to them and they watch a bunch of games and that somehow qualifies them to be experts. Well, you know what? Um, somebody who's had a bunch of surgeries, they don't know what they're doing. That does not qualify you to be an expert. So what the person said was that he's not a good defensive coordinator, which again, that's a lie. There's context to everything. And I love that word, context. It means you need to look deeper into a situation and stop being so vague. Don't be vague. Don't make blanket statements that are so uh, on the surface that you fail to dig for more information and understanding situations. No different than Sam Darnold. The situation tells me He's not as bad as people think he is. He's not, period, point blank. I, I've seen it when Carolina was doing well. He played well. He played extremely well. It was a short stint because heck, Carolina didn't have much. I'm not going to get off topic. Okay, got the point. Please understand that Robert Sala, now the head coach for the New York Jets, who was the 49ers, 49ers defensive coordinator, then D'Amico Ryans took over, and they really didn't miss much of a beat. Then D'Amico Ryans got a head coach job. Then Steve Wilkes came in. Now, I'm explaining the difference between the three. Robert Sala was a defensive coordinator in Seattle. I, I apologize. He was not the defensive coordinator. He was a position coach, a defensive position coach, because Richard Sherman knew him already. He had already worked with him. And that was one of the reasons that Sherm came over. When he got the head coach job, 
D'Amico Ryans, who's a former linebacker himself in the NFL, well-respected guy. That was huge, too. That part was huge, okay? He was promoted from within. He was not hired from the outside. That is a huge difference, folks. The players already knew him. He already had relationships. He took over for a defense. He didn't have to change a defense. He came in with a similar philosophy that Robert Sala had. Those guys focused on the front seven. The front seven was the strength of the defense. The DBs were the weakness of the defense. Now you got a guy in Steve Wilkes that comes in. He comes from the outside. He's bringing in a new system. Not brand new. Like he's not changing from... Uh, a 4-3 to a 3-4. He's not, you know, uh, he's not changing. Uh, he's not reinventing the wheel on defense, right? He's still got the, he's still, he's still running a, a, a base. Uh, it's not even a 4-3. It's more of a 4 2 because uh, he likes to have that nickel, that nickel uh, corner. Whereas the previous defenses, they didn't really have that. That's what Isaiah Oliver is there for. He's, he brought, he brought him in uh, to be, to be that nickel, uh, the, the, that that nickel corner, okay. So Steve Wilkes again, he comes from the outside. He's a former head coach. He has a totally different demeanor. He has a different mentality. I saw I saw somebody somebody saying uh, he looks like he doesn't care. Like, oh my god, are you people serious? Do you not know the difference from somebody who doesn't care and somebody who's focused? I know. I know D'Amico Ryans was very animated. He would jump up and down. He would scream. Yeah, I got it. I know that. But Steve Wilkes is different. That does not mean he's any less, not as good as D'Amico Ryans, as Robert Sala. Those two guys were on the sideline. Steve Wilkes, as a DB's coach, he likes to be up in the box. They're just different. And the biggest point is that when you got a new guy that comes in, sometimes that takes time to work. I know we were spoiled defensively. Robert Sala came right in. Boom! It didn't miss a beat when he left and D'Amico Ryan took over. Boom! They looked just as good, if not better. Still had problems in the defensive backfield. Still had problems there. Now, you got a guy that comes from the outside, who comes from a different place. He comes from a head coach perspective. His demeanor is different. He's an older guy. Been around. It takes time. I know that we're in a society of impatience and we want things to work now, which is why coaches get fired so fast. College coaches get fired, man. They can't even get their first full recruiting class in. Well, that's not what I mean. I mean their first cycle. They can't even get through a whole four years. They, if they recruit somebody, if they don't do well, some of their players that they recruited, there's only a few of them that are starters. 
because they're getting fired when they're sophomores and maybe juniors. They ain't even hitting their senior years and they're getting fired. That did not happen unless you had a scandal back in the day. But that's the problem is everything we can we can get things so fast now and we want results now, not later. Not later. We want them now. And that is a huge problem in sports. So D'Amico Ryans came right in after Salah and it did not miss a beat. Why? Because he was already there. He kept the same, basically the same system. It didn't change. It's like me and my car and my son, when he's ready to drive, I give him the car. I pass my car right on down to him. I already know what's wrong with it. I know what's right with it. I can help him with it. I know the weaknesses of the car. I know the gas mileage. I know everything about the car. It's not like I went and bought him a new car. And now I'm like, well, shoot, I don't know anything about this car, kid. Let's figure it out together. We don't have to figure it out together. I know it. Steve Wooks comes in and he's extreme. He's brand new to all of this. He's never been a 49er, number one, right? Like he's new to all the players. Now, I mean, I, I take, the, yeah, there's some, of course, that he's had under his belt at some point. Like I said, Isaiah Oliver, but he's new to Nick Bosa. He's new to Fred Warner. He's new to Drake Greenlaw. He's new to Eric Armstead, right? Like he's, he, he's new to Charverius Ward. Okay. He's new to, uh, uh, um, Owen Burks. He's new to Diamondo Lenore. He's new to all of these guys. It's going to take time and it might take the full season. It may not be till the playoffs until they hit stride. It may be longer. And then, yes, there is the possibility that maybe the players they have doesn't work well with his system. There I, did I say that word? System. No different than quarterbacks and coaches. No different than, 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 than uh, quarterbacks and their offensive coaches. You need to be in the right system. Now, I can promise you this. If it doesn't work, they ain't going to get rid of Nick Bosa, Fred Warner. I mean, Greenlaw, who knows? I mean, he's second fiddle. Um, he might be able to go somewhere and be the guy himself. No idea on that. But you can dog, so you can dog on bet you. You can pretty much guarantee the players aren't going to be the one to go and the coach stays. But I'm also not hitting the panic button. Because I understand that these things take time. Okay. Whew. That got me going. That got me going, man. Because I'm, I'm tired of uh, the impatience. I'm tired of the quick takes by everybody. And nobody's looking deep into situations. Again, people are just looking surface. We got these guys on these shows that are supposed to be experts. And they got all these people who work for them to dig into things. And, I, and I'm telling you, I watched Nick Wright. And he doesn't come with a bunch of stats to prove things right unless it's the people he likes. Unless it's Mahomes, 
then he'll come with all the stats in the world. But then when it's when it's Purdy, the best thing he can say is, I look at my five wow throws. What the hell is five? What what is wow throws? Where I looked at the throw and said, wow, you have got to be kidding me. That's it? That's your <laughs> judgment of quarterbacks? That's who's great and who's not? How many times you said, wow, when you watched a game? That is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Okay, now people say that a lot. It's not the most ridiculous thing I've heard. It's, it's, it's just, it's my, my, it's right now. That's the most ridiculous thing I've heard right now in the last two weeks, month, two months. Wild throws. So he gave him five wild throws against the Cowboys. Other than that, he had more uh-oh throws than he did wild throws. What are we teaching? Third graders here? Uh-oh throws versus wild throws, and you're on national TV, and that's your judgment? Why do you think I, I prefer to listen to Dan Orlovsky? Because the dude comes with details. I don't give two. I heard somebody trying to crap on him because he's the guy that ran out the back of the end zone. At least he was in the end zone to run it, to run out the back of it. Where were you? Well, we supposed to listen to you? You were on your couch when he did that. This dude went through four years, played at, at UConn, was obviously good enough at UConn to get drafted into the NFL. And you want to try to bash him because he ran out the back of the end zone? Yeah, he was not a good pro. Well, sue him. That dude comes with more details. I love listening to him. He, 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 he went to the, to the umpteenth earth to defend Matt Stafford. And guess what? Matt Stafford won a Super Bowl. He was right. Now, he was wrong about Carson Wentz. He was wrong about Carson Wentz. And that's okay because he stood on his word. He stood on his word. He ain't up here talking about five wild throws and wild throws versus uh-oh throws. No, nah, man, he coming with details. He comes with film. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I made me being a coach. That's what I want. I want to listen to a guy who's going to bring facts. Not emotions, not opinions. Bring me the real talk. And that's what he does. I also, I do like, and what, 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 what bothers me about Shannon Sharp is to be as great of a player as he was, he doesn't come with a whole lot of details. He comes with a lot of emotions and opinions. He doesn't come with a whole lot of facts. I love Uncle Shay Shay. I love watching him. I love listening to him. But he's kind of more turning into comedy He's got all these, and I'm not saying like you just laugh at him the whole time. I'm saying he says things. He said he makes, he has sayings that are funny. Now, I know Stephen A. doesn't come with much of anything. Listening to him talk about football, he might as well be some regular Joe Schmo uh, on, on, on Facebook or Twitter or X as it is. Because he knows no football. Like, it's laughable listening to him. He gets his two cents in because he's the boss. He has to but he's pretty nauseating to listen to when it's talking about football. I, I wish he would 
I know he says, I defer to you guys because you guys play the game. Yeah, he says that, but he really doesn't defer to them. I really wish he would. Uh, Skip is same, no different. Skip will try to come with details and facts, but he comes with specific plays that happened two years ago or that happened in the play in the playoffs last year. Like my favorite one, when they were going at him, when, when uh, Keyshawn Johnson and uh, Shannon, Richard Sherman were going at him the week of the 49ers Cowboys game. And they were telling him the question was who's more physical, right? And they were telling him, of course, the 49ers are more physical than the Cowboys. They were talking about, so he brought up last year and two years ago how well the, the, that, uh, the defense played against the Niners' run game and that they were physical because of it. And he brought up, oh, my God, what's the, the kid, 88, I don't know why I'm forgetting his name. The one who basically snatched the phone out of his girlfriend's hand right at um, <laughs> right at the draft. That was hilarious. That somehow he was physical because he caught 10 balls, I think, for 100 and something yards against the Niners last in the playoff game. And they're like, how does that make him physical? But that's what I'm saying. He always does this. He'll come up with specific moments to try to prove a point of a guy's whole career. He does it to guys he loves. He does it to guys he hates. And I, I, I'm baffled at how somewhere in his brain that that is enough proof to pluck moments out of somebody's career and make that their, their career, like make that their end goal. Like that's, that's who they are. Something he used to say many years ago against uh, uh, Aaron Rodgers was his playoff game against the Bears, where the Bears had Caleb Haney at quarterback. And he would always say, this is the guy that almost lost to Caleb Haney. Well, no, Skip, he almost lost to the Bears. Caleb Haney didn't beat, didn't almost beat Aaron Rodgers. Again, I'm going back to my win-loss stat win-loss as a QB stat because there's a whole defense that has to come out there and play against Aaron Rodgers. And the Bears had a better defense that year. Like, like, like this stuff isn't hard to figure out. And all Caleb Haney had to do was go out there and not screw the game up. All he had to do was play action, dump it off, screen. Right, what you guys say, Brock Purdy's doing, but he's obviously not because he has the highest pass per attempt in the league. So anyway, whoo, man, get me going. Okay, man, I just did those two topics and went off, and now we're sitting at forty minutes. Okay, uh, so I got another topic. I'm gonna go ahead and bring up maybe one, maybe two more. We'll see. I have to. There's other topics I want to get to. But I need to talk about this Michigan thing. I'm not going to take a whole lot of time on it because it's still uh, it's obviously still being figured out, discussed, investigated. Uh, But let me say, and I agree with a lot of the NFL players and I heard them on first take this morning or I should say uh, get up this morning. Uh, It was uh, um, uh, Jeff Saturday, 
um, Dominique Foxworth, uh, and then there was somebody else too. Um, they laughed at this thing. Listen, man, I've been on the sidelines for from 2007 to 2015. Looking to get back on the sideline as soon as I can. I got some things to work out before I do. I've been at Division Three sidelines. I've been at the high school sideline. Power Five, I was only in recruiting, so I wasn't on the sideline for that. Sign stealing happens at all levels. All levels. All levels. I would, I would, I, I never coached true youth. And I mean, like, you know, seven, eight year olds, nine year olds, 10 year olds, on up to eighth grade. I never coached anything less, younger than ninth grade. Okay. But I do know that even at the high school level, we had, my team, we had signs stolen. No, there was no proof. But when we watched the tape, we were like, good Lord, man, these dudes know, knew everywhere we were going. And partly was our offensive coordinator. All he did, he just had very simple, basic signs. You could have picked them off in the film. All you need is one person to study the film and see it. And I know I coached for a Division Three school. I was on the sideline. A former, my former uh, receivers coach. He played receiver at the Division Three level and coach at the Division Three level. We were playing his old um, his alma mater, and he literally said to us, "I need you guys to hold up a huge blanket as I'm making these play calls, as I'm sending the signals in." Now, he was not our play caller. He was our signal guy. Normally, what we did was we had three signalers, and I was one of the fake signal guys. That week, we changed everything. Because he said, I know where, they're still, where, where their sign stealer sits. He's going to sit right up above us in the box, right where he can look down at what I'm doing. And he's going to decode what I'm doing. So he would duck down to make sure that guy couldn't see him. Because the way the boxes were, even if we would have had to put an umbrella on top of him, not just a towel, because he could potentially still see his hands from the from the angle that he was sitting. So he he kneeled down, he knelt down to make every single signal call. Now, make no mistake, we still got our butts handed to us because that program was just, they just were the best in the state, and they still are. You weren't going to beat them. I don't care if they didn't. They, they And I, I'm baffled at why they felt like they even need to do that against this school because they didn't. They were so much better than us. They could we could have They could have told us what their plays were, and we weren't going to beat them, period. But that's what they did. They literally hired a guy. And that's all he did the entire season. He stole signs. Now, with this Michigan game, with this Michigan deal, this is different. This is now a guy going to. I'm not. I'm sorry. He's because I asked myself this question. Wait a minute. If he's on the sideline, how could he go to games? But now I'm understanding 
He didn't go to games. He played. He paid for others to go to games and video these games and video, not just the game, because understand something, the film that they're going to see, the Michigan coaches will see the game. You don't need to go to the game to film the game. You're going, he's sending people to these games to film the coaches signaling. And then when they, when he gets that part, he's going to go, and I'm, I'm imagining this because of being, again, being on the sideline, he's going to put the camera on the person who is uh, doing the signals and then to the team, to the, to the team on the field to see what, what that means. Is that a pass? Is that a run? Is it a screen? So that's what's going on here. And I heard the report today that that's the kind of the next, the new rumor is he may have been working on his own, that it's very possible Harbaugh did not know about this. Now, if I was still at my old school, I, I would hear more because a lot of those guys, well, not a lot. There's a couple of those guys that came from working with Harbaugh. So. That's really all I'm going to say about that. But please understand, sign stealing is not the issue. Because if that's the case, you're going to penalize every single team in the country. You're going to you're going to penalize every high school team in the country because they all do it to some extent. Some do it more than others. Some make a habit out of it. Some do it when they can. Some do it when, well, this is a really tough team. We might want to try to grab a few signals if we can. It's different levels for everybody. So with that said, I'm going to go ahead and get out of that one. Uh, and then the next thing I want to talk about is, and I, I, I have to, this one might take me a minute. I'll probably get up to about an hour with this one. So about another 15 minutes. I want to talk about James Franklin. Um, and there's a specific reason why I want to talk to him, why, why, why I want to talk about him. I want to talk about James Franklin because so if you don't know, James Franklin is the head coach at Penn State. Now, that's a very storied football program, okay? Like Joe Paterno, I know how his career ended there, and it's, it's, it's sad uh, that it ended that way uh, for him, but it's also more sad for the people that were harmed. Now, I don't know if he really knew a lot, I don't know how much he knew. I'm not saying he didn't or he did. It's sad for both parties, more sad for the people who were harmed. With that said, I, I kind of, before I was a Florida State fan, I liked Penn State. I didn't love them. I liked them. I liked them because I just liked the plain uniforms, the plain helmets. I always thought that was really cool. However, James Franklin, when he got hired, I was excited because here I am. I am a, a African-American man going into coaching at the time, was just trying to find my way through it all. And to see a black man hired at a prestigious, historic, not just football program, but university. And one that I always said, man, I would love to coach there, right? I would love to coach you. That, that's 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 worthy of a goal to make that place a goal to work at. 
I remember watching on YouTube, watching the video of him and his wife flying in to the local airport there to go visit the school after he was uh, like kind of his first introduction when he did his press conference. And I watched the whole thing. I was almost emotional because there's a black man, man, like that. That's, that's me one day, right? I saw myself in him. But now we're talking however many years later it's been since he, he's been there. And I have a few connections to him. I know some coaches who have coached for him. I've heard some things. I've heard him talk in Zooms. Right? I've heard him. So some Zooms that I used to be of Zoom meetings I used to be a part of. They had some pretty heavy hitter coaches that would come in and it was your time to learn and network, right? Listen, learn and network. That's what they call it. Listen, learn and network. It was a good time for jobs for guys to get uh, potentially get noticed uh, as they're speaking. You, you wanted to speak with your best foot forward. Um, they would advise you, hey, don't come on laying up in your bed eating. Because it looks bad on you, right? I mean, yeah, they were right. Try to have your camera on if you could. I couldn't always have my camera on because sometimes I had my kid in my arms. I was feeding them, all of that stuff, right? And so I've heard some of the things that James Franklin has said. So I'm going to kind of get into it a little bit. What I'm, I, I wanted to preface a lot of what I'm going to say based on kind of my knowledge of him and my history with him the light that I saw him in as a black man taking over for a program like Penn State after all the things that it went through. Um, so he came from Vanderbilt, which is traditionally a very high academic institution that has a rough time uh, with football, right? Being successful on the field, uh, kind of like Stanford in a sense, or uh, like a Georgia Tech Um you know, uh, Cal, right? Cal has probably a little bit better. Cal has a better history than the other ones. Uh, but nonetheless, um, you know, Texas A&M, Texas A&M would probably have the best success on the field than any of them. Um, but anyway, so he comes from Vanderbilt. He did a pretty good job there, but he had a, a offensive coordinator there by the name of John Donovan. Now, John Donovan was the, I actually got to personally know John Donovan. Uh, I worked with him for about a year. Uh, and then uh, I met with him. I, well, not met with him, but I spoke with him on the phone a couple of times. I had communicate direct communication with him. John Donovan was about was going to hire me to be a GA. Now, this was after he was fired by James Franklin at Penn State. He went off to be the QB's coach at Jacksonville, Jacksonville Jaguars. And I, 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 I gotten a hold of some information about how much James Franklin butts into, and it says, I mean, he can, it's his right. He's a head coach, right? That he butts into uh, offensive meetings when he's a D guy, right? He's a defensive guy which is partially why Penn State is really known for their 
for their defense, even this year. They got a great defense this year, ranked number one in the country. I don't know if now they still are after the Ohio State game, but they also did really well defensively. They did really well against Ohio State as well. Their offense sucks. Their offense is atrocious. I, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I watched that game, and a, the first drive Penn State had, I knew what was going to happen. I literally said, Penn State's not going to win this game. Because that's the same old bad offense that they've had. It hasn't mattered who their offensive coordinator is. He fired John Donovan. He brought in Kirk Soraka from uh, Minnesota, who was the offensive coordinator. He was doing really well at Minnesota. Soraka took the job, was fired in less than a year, was fired in a year. Soraka then went back to Minnesota. The only reason Soraka even went to Penn State is because he's from Pennsylvania. That's where his family lives. He went back home. He was fired in less than a year. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I apologize. He was, started, he was fired in a year. I don't even know who their offensive coordinator is now, but it doesn't look any different. So either, either James Franklin has a problem with butting in because he has a certain offensive system he kind of wants to see, or he just keeps hiring horrific offensive coordinators. And I know for a fact that Kirk Soraka is not a horrific offensive coordinator. He did extremely well at Minnesota of all places. If you can do, listen to me, listen to me. If you can do well at Minnesota, you can damn sure do well at Penn State. Why? Because you got more resources. Your recruiting is better. Your recruiting footprint is larger. You are Penn State. We are Penn State. Right? Historic school. You can hire a great offensive coordinator. That is a place you want to go. You can recruit across the country, which is the point I'm trying to make about James Franklin can bring in great recruits because people want to go to Penn State. Now, what I, what I can say is my time in recruiting, I don't really recall Penn State seeing Penn State's name on a lot of West Coast guys. Notre Dame, yep. Ohio State, eh, sometimes. Michigan, yes. Michigan went everywhere. I went to a, uh, a clinic right after COVID opened things, right after things got opened back up from COVID. There was head coach, Jim Harbaugh, offensive coordinator here in the state of Washington. Penn State, I don't see their footprint all over the country. I don't know why. However, they can recruit wherever they want to. He can get any offensive coordinator. Maybe I shouldn't say any, but he's, he's, he's got resources to get people. Now, I'm bringing up the Zooms because I've heard him say, I've heard him talk about he doesn't hire people he doesn't know. That doesn't come with recommendations from people he trusts. And I understand that that is how college football works. And that's actually a topic for next show that I have ready because that, that, is, that is a huge issue to me in college football after some experience that I've had. 
However, I understand that Franklin fired Donovan. And I'm not saying that Donovan was the fault because he didn't do well at Washington either. He did not do well at Washington. But what I do know is something happened at Penn State. I've, I've heard some direct things uh, that, again, James like James Franklin, Coach Franklin likes to butt in quite a bit uh, on the offense and kind of dictate where things go. Where it might be best for him to just stay on the defensive side and let the offensive coordinator do his thing. Again, he's the head coach. He has that right. It's his program. But maybe, maybe Coach Franklin might want to look at things a little different because your offense has not evolved. You keep hiring guys. Either they are the problem or you are the problem because he's the one common denominator between all of them. And I would say out of those three guys, and I'm only saying whoever is the offense coordinator now, I honestly don't know who it is. I have not really looked that up. Kirk Soraka and John Donovan. Out of those three guys, Soraka is clearly the more innovative and uh, better offensive coordinator of the three. Why he was only there for one season, when I saw that, that was a huge red flag for me. That it kind of, it went from, okay, maybe John Donovan was a problem because he then went to University of Washington and got fired before the season was even over. He didn't even last a full year. Which I almost don't even blame him because to me he was a bad hire for you can't really bring a pro-style offense to the Pac-12. It's just, you just, and they didn't have the recruits for that. That was a bad hire. I love Jimmy Lake. I just felt like that was a bad hire on his part. And Jimmy Lake kind of had that problem where he never really hired like the right offensive coordinator. Or I should also, I'm sorry, I should say Chris Peterson at Washington because Lake wasn't there long enough. He only had two guys, one that he ended up inheriting from Peterson and then, which was Bush Hamden. And then he brought in John Donovan. So something's wrong with the hiring practice of James Franklin, which to me, it has everything to do with my next topic I'm going to start out with in the next show is hiring your buddies instead of hiring guys who actually are really, really good. That there's no interview process, really. I shouldn't say no. There's a limited interview process. If this guy brings me this guy and I trust that guy who brought him to me, I'm pretty much going to hire him. Even though there might be that guy over there who's got, oh my God, this, his offense is sick. But I don't know. That's going to be our next topic to start out with. And then there's going to be some other topics as well. But that's where I'm going to start off. We're going to piggyback right off of this one. Uh, thank you guys for joining me today. I really appreciate it, man. Um, 
Likely, I'm going to be doing an hour of a show. Again, I like to go into detail. I like to talk about the sport a lot, especially from my experiences. Uh, and again, I'll see you on the next show. It'll be episode four. All right. Hey, I appreciate your time. Thank you. Bye.